right. Good morning. Welcome. My name is Nick. I'm the lead pastor. Uh, if you're a guest with us, we're so grateful that you're here with us. We're in this series called Unhindered, um, and in it we're traveling through the book of Philippians. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn to Philippians chapter 1. We're picking up in verse 12 today, and we'll pick up where we left off last week. Um, I'm in the CSB, so if you have the Version Bible app or another Bible app and want to follow along word for word, um, you can do that. And like I said, I'm beginning in verse 12. I know uh, Corel mentioned um, about this uh, little box. Um, it, it's going to, I know he said it's for the drummer, but it's going to be our timeout box. And um, we're going to put it over here. So if you're caught napping or talking or anything like that, we're going to put you in it. And it's going to have a glass front. Everybody can look at you. Um, actually, it's going to help our um, worship. Uh, I, I don't know if he mentioned this part, but um, when you enclose the drummer, you can mic the drummer and then you can change it. Sometimes the drums in this room will overwhelm the other instruments and music. Um, we have a phenomenal drummer, and so, but it'll allow us to control that better so that we can hear your voices even more, um, which is what uh, we should be all about is congregational worship and congregational singing, and that's what we want. So um, that's, that'll be the purpose of that, and it'll be modified some, moved back, um, it'll change. Um, y'all have a much better view over here, um, you know, in the future. So um, today, once again, we're in Philippians chapter 1, beginning of verse 12. But uh, I want to start with this quote by a famous TV pastor. Um, he once said, don't just accept whatever comes your way in life. You were born to win. You were born for greatness. You were created to be a champion in life. I'm sorry to tell you, but it's ideology like this that's harmful to true Christianity. Um, in fact, it teaches immature Christians that Christianity is all about personal greatness. It's all about winning. It's all about what you can achieve for yourself in life. And what happens is, is um, when that doesn't happen, it can cause some disruption in people's faith when that's what is expected to come from God. And so today, in our passage that we're going to look at, Paul pushes back on this type of teaching, this type of ideology that you might hear even, um, you know, in our, and that's a modern day, you know, uh, famous TV pastor, um, and, and those type things that you might hear on TV or the radio or on the internet, when you hear those type things, you can kind of understand um, where the scripture takes us, because Paul has been imprisoned in Rome, and this is what uh, Matthew Henry says about this in a commentary. He says, this might be a stumbling block to those who had received the gospel by his ministry. So this is talking about Paul being in prison and how it could be a stumbling block to those who had received the gospel by his ministry. It says, they might be tempted to think if this doctrine or this belief that I've kind of, you know, um, taken on for myself, if this doctrine were indeed of God, God would not suffer one who has so active and been instrumental in preaching and propagating it to be thrown by as a despised broken vessel. They might be shy of owning this doctrine lest they should be involved in the same trouble themselves. It does not look like winning to be imprisoned simply for being a Christian. It doesn't look like being a champion at life or um, achieving great uh, greatness in this life. We, we would not say for someone to be in prison, that's greatness. That's what we would ascribe to. That's what we would desire for our life. Like, I want to become a Christian because I'm going to be in prison for that. We, we wouldn't define that as greatness. That's not something that we would adopt for ourselves. And so 
um, Matthew Henry is saying this would be a stumbling block, just him being in prison and the persecution could be a stumbling block for those who had come to faith because of the message that Paul had preached. And so if the ideology is, is that Christianity and that all God wants for you is to be a champion at life and to achieve greatness and to have your dreams come true and all of these different things, then one could look at that and they might accept what this pastor says when he says, don't just accept whatever comes your way in life. So what you could see, not only in today's time, but even in biblical times, that if I'm expecting greatness and I'm expecting for all of my dreams to come true, and if I'm expecting to be a champion at life, and then I see my teacher, the one who shared the faith with me and Paul, imprisoned for that faith, I might go, oh, I, I don't know that I want to be a part of this. Because what, why, why would God allow his servant to be put into prison? Why would he just dispose of him that way? Why would he allow that to be? And so what you might find in Christians today, what you might find in Christians in this day, in this biblical day, is that they kind of shrink back in fear, that they're paralyzed, that they don't live out their faith as they are called to do because they're fearful of what might happen, because that's not really what they um, desire in life. And so Paul today pushes back on this theological stumbling block and he does so in beginning in verse 12 and 13 when he says this, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters. So he understands his plight. He understands where he's at. He understands what's taking place. And he's like, I want you to know this. You need to know this, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial, imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. You can write this down. The greatest win for a Christian is when the gospel wins through our every circumstance. The, the greatest win for a Christian is when the gospel wins through our every circumstance. I'm sure prison was not a part of Paul's plan. I'm sure that it was not a part of the destiny that he dreamed of to be imprisoned for his faith. Most people do dream about winning. They dream about achieving greatness and being a champion at life. If you've ever played sports, um, I, I played basketball coming up through high school and loved it and had, the access, had access to a gym where my dad pastored and there was a Christian school. And so after, um, after school and after basketball practice, I could um, basically stay in the gym and I could work on shots and I could play basketball and I could practice with myself. And if you've ever played basketball, you know what happens. In fact, I saw a video the other day of how, you know, you count down three, two, because you want to hit that game-winning shot. You want to be the champion. And three, two, one, and you miss the shot. And so somehow that clock starts back over and that one second becomes five seconds because you want to hit that game-winning shot. Why? Because we dream of being a champion. We dream of winning. We, we dream of achieving great things. And so I don't think that Paul dreamed that he would be a suffering servant in prison, yet this is where we find him. Paul could have used his voice and his platform after being imprisoned unjustly to criticize the Roman rulers. He could have negatively influenced the Christians, the church. This letter could have been written in a whole nother different tone and a whole different motive and attitude 
where he could have used his platform and his voice and his influence to influence the church and to influence his friends and those that he had influence on to um, really turn against the rulers of the, the day. He could have made it an us versus them scenario and situation. He could have um, complained about not having the life that he desired and that he wanted. He could have complained about the conditions of the prison, but he didn't. He, his life was built on the gospel. His life was built on the message of Jesus Christ. It was the most important thing to him. And so for him to win was for the gospel to win. That was his desire. That was what he wanted out of his life was for the gospel to advance and for it to win. And so instead of letting this be a theological stumbling point for them, a, a stumbling block, something that they could look at and go, you know what, I don't know that I want to adopt this faith, this doctrine. I don't, I don't know that I want to live it out. He tells them, I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually been used for good. God's using it for a greater good and a greater purpose in my life, and he's doing something with it. I don't, I don't want you to uh, you know, fall back in fear. I don't want you to go run off and, and, and let loose of this faith and this belief because the gospel is winning. He tells the Philippian church, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. So he's like, yes, I'm suffering. Yes, I'm in prison. Yes, things aren't going well for me. But the result of that is that the gospel is advancing. It really has this same feel and kind of tone as what we see with Joseph's, Joseph's conversation with his brothers in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, when he tells them, you planned evil against me, God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. While the Roman rulers and the guards and those who conspired against Paul could have desired that it brought harm to him, that might have been their motive and that might have been their intention, but instead of it bringing just harm to him, yes, he had to suffer, and yes, he went through the things that he went through, but it was resulting in the advancement of the gospel. It was advancing um, and resulting in the salvation of many people. Their imprisoning Paul didn't stop the gospel influence. Instead, it multiplied it. It advanced beyond him. Now it's not just him sharing the gospel but it's others sharing the gospel. It's other preaching the message. In fact, verse 13 says, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. So the gospel spread among the guards, the Roman rulers. And in fact, when you see, when we get there, if you read ahead, you can see it, that according to chapter four, it even reached Caesar's household. Caesar's household in chapter 4 is sending greetings to the other Christians. They're sending greetings to the, the Christians at Philippi. And so the gospel has reached far beyond him because of his suffering. The gospel has gone well beyond what he could do in his own life and through his own influence because of the difficulties he was facing. The gospel was winning. And I wonder for us in our modern day, do we kind of adopt that mentality of the famous TV pastor who tells us that God wants you to, I mean, you should reject these things in life if you're not winning, if you're not advancing 
if you're not a champion at life? Is that the mentality that you have adopted? Or could you say that you've adopted the mentality of Paul, that as long as the gospel is winning, you're winning? As long as the gospel is winning, you're satisfied and you're content. Because would you be okay with that? Are you okay with suffering, with dealing with difficulty, rejection, slander, or even personal loss? Maybe it's financial loss, loss in your health, or whatever that might be, in order for the gospel to advance and win. Can you say that's your heart's desire? Can you say that's what motivates you? That that's what you would consider winning at life? That's what you would consider to be a champion at life, personal achievement and advancement. Because in verse 14, he goes on, he says, most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. See, Jesus calls us to take up our cross, to die to ourselves and to follow him daily, to die to ourselves, to die to what we desire, our, our dreams, our motivations, our agenda. Jesus is the one that told the rich young ruler, and he would tell us today to sell your possessions, give the money to the poor, and to follow him. If that's what's standing between you and following Jesus, you need to, you need to sell all of your possessions, give it to the poor, and then follow Jesus, because there could be nothing standing between us and him. He's the one that told us that we need to abandon our father and our mother, our family, if that's what's standing in our way. He's the one that said, don't look back. Let the dead bury their dead. You come and follow me. He's the one that said that our allegiance to him, our love of him should make it as if it should appear as if we hate our family, hate our brothers and our sisters, our mothers and our fathers. Not that we do hate them, but by comparison, the love that we have for Jesus would make it appear that we hated them. So he's the one that says abandon it all, to give it all up, to die to yourself in order to follow me. And this is the cost of the gospel. It's to die to self in order to live for Christ. Dead men don't have their own agenda. The scripture tells us we have been crucified with Christ. We no longer live. The life of Christ now lives within us. The life that you have within you as a follower of Jesus is not your own. It's the power of the Holy Spirit empowering you, living through you. The power that raised Jesus from the dead lives within you. That is what gives you life. That's not for your own agenda. It's not for your own dreams and purpose. It's not that God doesn't allow you to achieve your dreams, but he gives you those dreams as you delight yourself in him. He gives you the desires of your heart. And that's what's taking place here now. Paul's no longer about uh, achieving great things as a religious teacher and ruler and all of these things on earth. It's no longer about himself. Winning for him is that the gospel is winning, that Jesus is being made known, that the message of the gospel, the good news is spreading well beyond himself, even so that the, the brothers now have gained confidence in the Lord. His imprisonment, instead of making them fearful, has actually emboldened them. It's given them confidence and fearlessness. Worst case scenario, they too find themselves in prison and they're reunited with Paul. Now they're, they're, they're together. They can encourage one another. They can learn from one another. They can grow from one another. They can reach the prison together. They can reach the guards together. There's no fear. What do I have to lose? It's not my life that I have to lose. I've already lost my life. I died to myself. 
I, I laid on the cross and I died to myself daily. It's not my life. What am I trying to cling to? What am I trying to hold on to? I've been crucified with Christ. The life I now live is given to me by Christ. It's his life. It belongs to him. So it's his agenda. It's his mission. It's what he desires for me. So they're emboldened. They're fearless because they've been given this life and it's theirs to give for the cause of Christ. And I wonder for us, does trouble make us want to avoid doing the right thing? Does the threat of persecution or people coming against you make you fearful and cause you to back down? Because that was what Matthew Henry was saying could be that stumbling block for these Christians, especially a young Christian. If it's all about winning, if it's all about being a champion at life, and that's not happening, well, I want none of that because I want to win. I want it to be about me. I want it to be about my achievement, my greatness. And yet, these early brothers, our brothers, these, this is our family from the first century that, that we belong to because of Christ. They were fearless. They were courageous. They were bold because of Christ. And so my encouragement for us is to learn from our early brothers and be courageous and fearless to share the gospel wherever God places you. He, if he places you in the military, you're a government-paid missionary. Like, you don't even have to raise support. It's already been taken care of. Everybody's through their tax dollars paying you. And wherever you go, it, it could be across the United States, it could be to another country, and, and you don't have to go like some missionaries and, and raise funds. There are some Christian groups that are so extreme that, they will re, that, that churches will remove their funding from a missionary. Get this, you're going to think it's crazy. You might go, once again, I don't know if I want to be a part of this Christianity thing. I'm not saying this is every Christian. But there are some groups so extreme, they will remove their funding from a missionary because they're, they, they believe women shouldn't wear pants. And you may have encountered some of those type people. But to the degree that they will put on a questionnaire, does your wife wear pants even to bed, like pajama pants? And one guy responded, it's none of your business what my wife wears to bed. And he lost funding. So people will remove funding from someone who is willing to go to a foreign country to share the gospel because a woman wears pajama pants to bed. You don't have to worry about that if you're in the military. You're, you're already being paid. And wherever you go, the Lord has placed you there for the purpose of sharing the good news of the gospel. I, I can't go to some of those places. God's sent me here. But he is sending you all over the place, and sometimes moving you multiple times in multiple places to the place that you have an influence that other people don't have. Some of you are teachers, and you have an influence over maybe elementary kids' students, or pre-K students, or middle school students, or high school students. He has placed you there, and he has given you that influence for the purpose of sharing the good news of the gospel. Whether you're an IT professional whether you're a doctor or a nurse or whatever you do, God has placed you there and he wants you to be bold and courageous wherever he has placed you to share the gospel and to share the good news. 
regardless of what people say to you, regardless of what they think of you. And we can look to our early brothers and sisters to be inspired to go, they were facing imprisonment. And yet we, 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 we don't have to worry about that. We have very little threat of death or persecution for sharing the gospel. So why are we so fearful? Why are we so silent when it comes to, the sh- to, to sharing the good news, to sharing the message of Jesus? Could it be that we're so worried about us winning, us achieving greatness more than the gospel winning, more than Jesus being made known and made famous in people's lives? I wonder what if that did change? How would we react Because right now we have very little threat of death. We have very little threat of imprisonment. But what if that changed? We're not promised that the United States will always have the freedoms that we have. We're not promised that we will never face persecution as Christians. We're never promised that we won't lose our life for the sake of Jesus. What if that changed? Would you back down in fear or would you stand boldly and courageously to share the gospel of Jesus? if it meant going to prison, if it meant losing your life? Would you still show up for worship? Would you still go to Bible study if it meant that if you got caught, you could be imprisoned? Because that's a reality all around the world. That's a reality in these countries that we pray for on a weekly basis. You might say, why do we pray for these persecuted Christians? Because they are, they actually encourage us. They give us courage and hopefully will help us to be fearless. To, to hopefully inspire us that in the position and the situation that Christ has placed us, that we too can share the gospel if they can, if they're willing to risk their life, if they're willing to go to prison, if they're willing to lose their livelihood, if they're willing to give up everything to die to themselves in order for the gospel to win. So what would we do? Would we still show up? I'm, I'm so grateful to see this crowd on such a rainy day. Some people said, I didn't want to come, and then I saw your post about the umbrellas, and I got my butt up, and I came. Good. But it could be so much worse. Would we still be bold and courageous? Because wherever God's placed us, He wants you to be bold. He wants you to be courageous. He wants you to be fearless and sharing the good news. Be courageous and fearless for the sake of the gospel. Verse 15 to 18 goes on. It says, to be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. You can write this down. Where Jesus is preached, Christians should rejoice. Where Jesus is preached, Christians should rejoice. Paul said there were two different groups of pastors, two different groups of people proclaiming the message of Jesus. One group had wrong motives. They preached Christ out of rivalry and envy, most likely for personal gain and profit. The second group preached Christ with the right motives, They preached out of love and out of goodwill, knowing that Paul was in prison and knowing what he was going through and in an endearing way, supporting him and helping him. The insincere group 
preached about Jesus just to try and create greater troubles for Paul while he was in prison. That's what Paul said, that their motives were to, um, in one version it says, to make his chains tighter. So, so almost as if I'm doing this to, to get the, the prison guards angry at you, to, to um, make it more difficult on you while you're in prison. And so it would be hard not to call them out and to mark them. He didn't give any names. There are some scriptures where um, you'll, you'll hear a name like Diotrephes, and you'll hear names called. There's times where names were called and people were marked and called out. Paul doesn't do that here. He says their motives are wrong. They're doing it out of ill will. But instead, this is what he said in verse 18. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. You can write this down. There should be no competition between gospel preaching churches. There should be rejoicing because of gospel preaching churches. There should be no competition between gospel preaching churches, gospel preaching Christians. There should be rejoicing because of gospel preaching Christians or churches. You can put both because it's, 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 it, we are the church. You know, it'd be easy to rejoice because of those who preach Jesus out of goodwill, out of love, out of sincerity. But I think we'd all agree that it'd be very hard to rejoice, to celebrate when Jesus is being preached out of envy and selfishness, to, to, to make the chains harder, to, to make the time in prison more difficult. The prison's already difficult. It's not a first century prison. It's not what you see on TV. It's not what you maybe have experienced yourself. It's nothing like the American prison. It's suffering. It's difficult. It's hard. And so it's already hard. And yet these Christians, or maybe they're not Christians, but these with the false motives are doing so to make it even more difficult. And Paul said he rejoiced. And the reason he rejoiced is because the message was greater than their motives. He didn't get wrapped up in their motives. He didn't care about their motives. What he cared about was the message of Jesus Christ. What he cared about was the good news. He wanted the gospel to win. He wanted Jesus to win, not himself. Well, if I got to suffer more, so be it. As long as the gospel wins, as long as Jesus is being preached. This is one of my favorite passages of scripture because um, as God freed me from a legalistic background, um, coming out of, not to the extreme of the, the pajama pants, but the same kind of group, same kind of uh, sect. Um, there's like six different circles. Some are more extreme than the others that they've kind of narrowed down in that kind of realm. So as God was freeing me from that, I found this forum online. It was called the Fighting Fundamentals Forum. And so there's a group of like legalistic, probably the larger groups on there. And there's a lot of attaboys. They would just kind of you know, echo chamber, say stuff to themselves, and then they pat on the back, things like that. And then people like myself, who had been freed from kind of the legalism, got on. And so we would kind of have online debates about doctrine and theology and things like that. And, and I'm not saying this pat myself on the back, because I'm about to actually not pat myself on the back. But um, as I got good, because these legalistic people are very separatist, they're more separatist than fundamentalist. I think we should all be fundamentalists. We should all um, uh, 
build our, our faith on the fundamentals of the faith. We should be known by the fundamentals of the faith. The, the, the virgin birth, Jesus' sinless life, his death on the cross, his resurrection, all of that. And so I got good the more I got out of the legalism and studied the Bible and learned the Bible in context in shutting some of these guys down, silencing them, these arrogant, prideful pastors. And as I did that, I too grew prideful because I'm, I'm feeling like I'm better than them. Oh yeah, shut him down, shut him up. Where's your reply, you know, type thing. And so I'm growing in pride. And really God used a couple of things to, 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 to fix that. One, this, this passage of scripture. When, when I came to it, now, not all of it's legalism for a reason because it does distract and take away from the gospel sometimes. Sometimes it's just secondary issues that they elevate to primary issues and they allow that to be a distraction to the gospel. But there's still people in these churches and in these groups who preach the true gospel. They just elevate other things that become a distraction to people or a hindrance to people or a bondage to people. So, so those are secondary things while they might still be solid on the gospel. And so he showed me this verse, and essentially it convicted me right away and, and really impacted me, changed my heart in the moment. And the other was almost immediately. We were having a discussion about like outreach and the best methods and, you know, what the scripture says and all of this stuff. And then I'm sitting there like this conversation's taken probably about an hour, back and forth, back and forth. And it's like, here we are debating what the Bible says, not just on this issue, but on other issues we're debating what he says, yet we're wasting our time arguing online and not doing it. What, like, what are we doing? And that was my last time. That was my last day on the forum. I got off. I'm not on. I, I don't even know what it, if, even if it's out there anymore. But see, the churches kind of that I grew up in, the legalistic churches tend to be separatist and they, they will teach you to avoid other Christians if they don't align on like everything they align on, like they, they got to, you got to use the same Bible version. You, you can't wear pajama pants to bed. It, it's got to be this kind of music. It's got to be this. It's got to be this. And if not, they will even teach you that those people might not even be Christians. You might not even be a Christian. I might not be a Christian. So you may have encountered some of that yourself. And when God allowed me to learn and, and discover this verse, I, I decided that day I was not going to be like that. I was going to be different. Yes, false doctrine absolutely should be challenged and called out. I'm not talking about that. But when a church preaches Jesus, we should not allow our perception of their motives or their practice of issues that don't harm the gospel to prevent us from rejoicing that Jesus has preached. There are secondary, there are third level issues, there are conviction issues. I've heard it all the time. Larger churches, uh, they only care about this, or this is their motive, or this is that, or this. Is, uh, we can't judge their motive. And even if we know their motive, if they are preaching the gospel and preaching Jesus, Paul shows us a pattern that the motive is not as important as the message. And so he rejoiced and he re rejoiced all the more. And so should we. We're not in competition with any other church. We love gospel-preaching churches. We love gospel-centered churches. We believe they're our family. They're our friends. 
I have no pastor in this area that I'm in competition with. New passion is not in competition with anyone because it's not about new passion winning. It's about the gospel winning. It's about Jesus winning. That's what it's all about. And that's what we see in scripture. Our heart, whether through suffering or whether through difficulty, whether people come against us or whether the motives are pure or not, we're here to rejoice over the gospel message. We're here to proclaim the gospel message because we believe that we're better and stronger together with other gospel churches, whether they're in our denomination or not, whether we align on everything or not. If we align on the fundamentals of the faith, if we preach the gospel together, then we celebrate one another. We will rejoice with them and cheer them on. And then the final passage is this, 19 and 20 says, because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So he's continuing that thought of why he's rejoicing. He's like, I rejoice, I'll continue to rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. We close with this point, and it's this, be courageous by honoring God in every circumstance. I think that encompasses what he's been talking about in this passage. Be courageous by honoring God in every circumstance. Paul said he would continuously rejoice that Jesus was preached because the results would lead to his own salvation. That word salvation doesn't mean our eternal salvation. It means essentially vindication. So he's saying that the, the, the gospel being preached, Jesus being preached, it being advanced well beyond his reach, the other brothers being inspired to preach the gospel boldly, courageously, he says, this will lead to my vindication, meaning his imprisonment would be worth it because of the souls that were saved through or as a result of that gospel being preached. He's like, I'll be vindicated. I'll go to prison. Like, would you go to prison unjustly if you knew that through your life, one person would be saved? Some of you would say, no, probably not, even though that's their eternal soul. Uh, a hundred, a, a thousand. Uh, I mean, Paul probably didn't know how many people had come to faith. He just knew that it was growing and it was advancing, but he was okay with it. He, he said, I'll be vindicated. My, my imprisonment, my, my, my unjust situation here of being thrown in prison simply because I'm a Christian and I'm following Jesus, it, it'll be vindicated. It, it'll be salvation to me because souls are coming to faith. People are coming to Jesus. So, so would you be okay with going through that loss, facing that difficulty, dealing with that uh, people coming against you, the persecution, the, 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 the things that we face in life, the things that we fear? If you knew that it would lead to people's salvation, if you knew that people looking in might say, man, there's something different about that person. There's a peace. There's a contentment about them. I, I need to know what that's all about. Man, he must truly believe what he says because despite what he's gone through, he will go to prison for this Jesus. How many of us would deny Jesus to get out of prison? 
See, to me, I think that lends to the credibility and the boldness and the courage because all of the other apostles, they suffered and they died. Horrible deaths and never gave up their faith and their belief in Christ. To me, that goes, it's true. It's real. They're willing to die for it. Paul was willing to go to prison for his faith in Jesus. To me, that says it's real. And I would hope that would inspire me to have courage and boldness and to be fearless myself. Because, man, if he's willing to suffer for this, because all he's got to do is deny it. All he's got to do is quit preaching Jesus, and he's free. But he didn't. He was willing to suffer. He's willing to die in order for the gospel to win. And I just wonder, in our own life, could we say that about ourselves? Because I believe that's true Christianity. I believe that's what we're called to, die to ourselves. We've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives within me. My agenda's gone. My agenda's dead. And so Christ, whatever you lead me to, whatever you call me to, whatever you put me in, whatever you put me through, whatever, wherever you place me, I'm going to proclaim the gospel because that's what you've called me to. See, Paul's hope, despite his circumstances, is that he would have courage to highly honor Christ with his whole body, with every bit of his being. He wanted to honor Christ in everything that he did as long as he had life. And even if he died in that death that freed him from this life, he wanted Christ to be highly honored. He wanted the courage to honor Christ, whether in life or in death. Can we say the same about ourselves? I hope we can. And if not, I hope by seeing scripture today and seeing the truth of God's word and seeing our brother Paul, that we would be inspired to say, Christ, man, do that in me. Change my heart to where I have the courage. I have the courage to, be, to, to highly honor you in my body as long as you give me life. And when I die, that I die in such a way that you will be highly honored. And in my legacy, as people talk about me when I die, it won't be about Nick or it won't be about you, but it'll be about Christ and how they live their life for Christ, that he would be highly honored. If there's one last thing we can learn from Paul today, that's it. Have the courage to honor God in our whole bodies, no matter our circumstances. In life, honor God, no matter what. And if God so chooses to take us home, to take us to eternity, we honor him in our death. That's my prayer for you. It's my hope for you today. Is that you would just simply say, God, give me the courage to honor you, to highly honor you in my life or in my death. That you would choose to rejoice every time Jesus is preached. When you don't know the motive, if you feel like you know the motive, if Jesus is being preached solidly, we rejoice. And that we would not see our momentary suffering, whether intentional by other people, whether unintentional, as a hindrance to our faith, as if God's doing something to us. It very well might be he's doing something through us. And maybe our prayer today is I'm going through something. I don't understand it. It's hard and it hurts. But Jesus, would you advance the gospel through me? Would you advance it beyond my reach because of what you have me going through? What you've placed me in? Because I trust you. It's your life. It's your agenda. It's your mission. And so I'm going to be faithful to that because my life is dead. 
and now I want to live to highly honor you. Whatever that looks like for you, whatever maybe God's speaking to your heart, I'm going to encourage you as I pray, and we'll have some announcements after the last song, but as I pray in this moment, have a conversation with God. Maybe you need to repent of holding on to your life instead of letting it go. Maybe you need to repent for judging other Christians or other churches because they don't do it your way. Maybe you need to repent because you've not been highly honoring Christ in your life, but you want to, and the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. Whatever it is, as I pray, I encourage you to pray along with me. God, thank you so much for the example of our uh, brother Paul, a forefather of our faith, one who suffered greatly. You even said to Ananias to go and help Paul because you were going to show him how much he needed to suffer for your sake, and he did. And I thank you that in his suffering, he wasn't worried about winning. He was worried about the gospel winning. God, my prayer is those who call New Passion home, those who call you father, those who are a part of our Christian family who are outside of this place. But Lord, I'm called to pastor this place. I ask, Father, that we would be known as a people who aren't worried about winning. We're not worried about fame. We're not worried about our name, but we're worried about the gospel winning. We would be people who are worried about Jesus being made known, that he would win, that his message would go forth. It would go far beyond anything we can control, anything in our grasp, that you would use us to influence other people in our suffering and in our difficulty. Not that we might be known, but that the gospel might be known. Lord, if there's anything hindering us from that, holding us back from that, if there's anything holding me back from that, may I die to it. May I lay it down. May I let go of control of it so that I might also join Paul in life or in death, highly honoring you, Jesus, because you're worth it. You're worthy of all praise. You're worthy of all honor. So may we be known as a people who highly honor you in life and in death. God, I thank you for every gospel preaching church in our city, around the world, who are preaching the message of Jesus. We rejoice. We celebrate because it's all about Christ. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.